Amen. Good Christmas singing. Go ahead and stay standing uh, for the reading of God's Word. This is Luke chapter 2 and maybe the most familiar Christmas passage in all the Bible. Starting verse 1. This is God's Word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Praise God for the reading, for the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We worship you. What else can we say but you're awesome and holy and faithful, sovereign, good, kind. God, we are so lost without you, without your grace, without Jesus. Where would we be? God, we thank you for your grace that reaches down and saves sinners like us. We thank you for Christmas. We love Christmas an amazing time of year. And yet, Lord, it's a time of forgetfulness. It's a time of busyness. It's a time of a lot of activity that we don't really love. And God, sometimes Christmas is a season of loneliness. There's a, there's a real wonder in, in the hearts of many people whether or not you notice them or whether they're noticed at all at Christmas time. God, would you just come and minister to us? Would you let us know that you're here, you're Emmanuel, God, with us? Would you work in our hearts? Lord, from the young to the old, would you speak to every person here this morning? We do pray for those who are not yet Christians. We pray that this would be the morning that they repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. God, work in our midst. We're wide open. We're opening our hearts to you. We're opening our minds to you. Holy Spirit, come do your work. And we'll give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome, welcome. My name's Pastor Josh. If you're with us for the first time, I'm preaching pastor here. This is our Christmas series. And we are really, really excited that you're here with us this morning. What a week. Can I get an amen? Oh my, what a week. What a week. So it felt a lot like quarantine days of, the, of 2020, except I noticed in our home, we were all actually sick, you know, as compared to 2020 where we weren't. Um, and it was not a fun week. And I know that many of you um, felt very, very similar uh, in 14 years of being a pastor here. I don't know that we've ever seen a week like this where just people have been home and out of it. And 
Um, if you're live streaming with us, just want to say hello and good morning from, uh, from the living room. And there's a lot of people who are still at home. And, and we love you if you're at home and we're praying for you. And if you're here, praise the Lord, you're here. Amen? You did great. Um, but so many times in this life, we feel unnoticed. Have you ever felt that way before? Feel unnoticed, unnoticed by God, unnoticed by others. Maybe you feel like people are looking past you. Um, certainly that is true. Many of the pastoral conversations we're having in our counseling ministry is due to the fact that people feel unnoticed. They feel like God doesn't see them or they feel like, like, like we don't see them. And those are, those are really hard conversations because it is in our human nature to not pay attention to details, to not notice things. Guys, have you ever gotten in trouble because you didn't notice something about your gal. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Um, Have you ever noticed that the propensity of your sinful nature is to not notice all the good things that God has done in your life? Well, that's the sermon title this morning. Christmas is good news to the unnoticed. And uh, this morning's passage, Luke 2, may be the most recognized Christmas passage In all of the Bible, there's probably not a more popular Christmas passage in all the scripture. Many of you will be reading this passage on Christmas morning. And that's a praise the Lord. That's good. I remember very distinctly, like it was yesterday, my grandpa reading this passage of scripture at Christmas. He would sit in the corner of their couch in the living room. And we're all like sardines in their house. Grandma and grandpa did not have a big house. So we're all sitting in there, and Grandpa, who was my earthly hero, this big hulk of a man, six foot three, military guy, he would read Luke 2. And as he read Luke 2, he would cry every single year. And as a seven, eight, nine year old, it blew my mind that Grandpa would cry. I would look at him, I look at all my brothers, and we would just be looking at each other like, What's happening? And I'd be like, no way. What is, what is going on? You know, I didn't understand Luke chapter two. I didn't know Jesus at the time. And now as, as I've come to know Christ as my savior, and now as I read the, the Luke two story to my kids, I, I get it more and more every year. Why grandpa would cry. Because just the power of the gospel was so palatable to him. And I miss those days. For all of you who have grandparents that read the Christmas story, you miss those. Amen? Moms and dads, you miss those days. But it's probably one of the most common uh, passages in the Christmas story. Now, here's a quick introduction to Luke. Because what what was making Grandpa cry as he read Luke chapter 2? Here's a quick introduction to Luke's gospel. Luke is a doctor. So this is a very smart guy. Uh, Luke is the longest gospel out of all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke has the longest word count out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the longest. Luke is more than likely a Gentile. He is listed with the Gentiles when the Apostle Paul recognizes him as a co-worker in ministry. And Luke interviewed many people to compile his gospel. So he was not an eyewitness to Jesus, but he was interviewing folks and getting their take on what they witnessed about Christ, and that is the gospel of Luke that we have in front of us this morning. Luke was also a companion of the early church leaders. 
So he, he traveled with exclusively the Apostle Paul. And if you have ever read the book of Acts, that is written by Dr. Luke. Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul. And between Luke's gospel and the book of Acts, Luke wrote almost a third of the New Testament. Amen? That's amazing. That is incredible. This is Luke. Okay, so the account of Jesus' birth is absolutely miraculous and powerful. I mean, who amongst us wants to volunteer, grab a microphone, do testimony time this morning of how the virgin birth happened? That's a very tough explain, right, from, from a Christian perspective. We don't know exactly how God did that. What we do know is that Jesus' birth was miraculous. God impregnated Mary and caused her to carry the Son of God, the God-man, Jesus, in her womb. And that is a miracle that all Christians just kind of stand back and say, I don't know how it happened. God did it. Here's a special note if you're a Christian. If you are an Orthodox Christian, you must accept the supernatural. Can I get an amen? There's just certain things in the, in the Bible that you cannot explain away. Is the Bible a book of logic and reason? Yes, it is. Is it also a book of supernatural wonder and miracles? Yes, it is. Okay, so if you're looking to have a debate with an agnostic or an atheist or someone who just doesn't believe in Jesus yet, you have to acknowledge both and both the logic of the Bible and the historicity of the Bible and also the miraculous miracles of God in the Bible. And it's not an either-or thing, it's a both-and thing. Amen? So, here is um, some things that happened before Jesus was born. Two angelic visits from Gabriel, from a, an archangel, showing up to uh, Simeon and Mary. And then you also have this, this group of angels, they show up in the sky and they sing or shout or announce Jesus's arrival. And this is amazing because this is both logical, uh, Luke is writing all this down, and he's also showing us this is supernatural, this is powerful. So when you approach Christmas this year and you are having your Christmas parties and you're opening up presents, open your mind up to the supernatural. Be ready for Jesus to visit you this Christmas. Okay? Can we do that? Now, here's, here's just part of the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't that amazing? That's both rational and miraculous. Because that prophecy took place hundreds of years before Jesus even came. And yet it is full of supernatural wonder in that the virgin shall conceive and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus' virgin birth literally changed history. Consider how you and I mark our calendars. Our calendars are marked by the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that before? Like how you measure your years is specifically tied to the virgin arrival of Jesus Christ. BC, hopefully none of you were born at that time. Amen. BC means before Christ. AD means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And literally our, our Western calendars are dictated 
to us by the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, here's the crazy part of Jesus' birth. In our text this morning, Jesus' birth was almost completely unnoticed. Unnoticed by many, many people. The arrival of the most important person on the earth was not celebrated by people. It was actually not even noticed by the world at that time. If you consider the culture of Jesus's day, when he arrived on planet earth, the people of Jesus's day were busy with other things. Can you believe that? They were obsessed during Christ's arrival with money and power. Are you kidding me? Sounds a little bit like what? Today, right? At the time of Jesus' arrival, people were busy with activity and they were focused on politics. Can I get a, uh uh-oh? Yeah. Very few people at the time of Christ's birth were living in anticipation of the arrival of God's intervening grace and his saving grace in their lives. In fact, a huge majority of people had no idea God was among them. Now, Jesus would change that. He would make his presence felt far and wide, right? But it it illustrates the point. At the time of Christ, Christmas time, when he was born, many people were living out John chapter 1, verse 11. Have you ever read John 1, 11? It said, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. Isn't that amazing? The son of God, the most important God-man, the most important arrival in the history of the world came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. That's the story of the virgin birth. But here's the good news. Christmas is good news to the unnoticed. Praise God. Christmas is good news to the unnoticed Jesus who was not noticed when he came to the unnoticed Joseph and Mary, who are this young couple just going in and out of this beautiful little town called Bethlehem. Nobody notices them. And the Christmas is good news to the unnoticed people like you and me. Do you ever feel unnoticed? Of course you do. Seven billion people on the earth. Don't you feel like you're just a number at times? Nobody notices me. Here's the the good news of Christmas. Jesus notices you. He knows exactly who you are. And he notices where you're at right now. So that's the theme of the sermon. Now, the question we're going to answer in the text is this. Who didn't notice Jesus? And who did notice Jesus? What groups didn't notice him? And then what people did notice him? We're going to see three major groups of people that did not notice Jesus. And then we're going to see a few people that did notice him, and then we'll make application as we go. So let's look at group number one. The first group that didn't notice Jesus was Caesar, Caesar and Rome. Jesus was unnoticed by Caesar and by Rome. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, if you're taking notes, look at verse 1 and circle Caesar Augustus. Who is this Caesar Augustus? Well, his real name is Octavian. 
And, and Caesar Augustus was simply a title that he got. Caesar being the leader of Rome. Augustus mean holy one or set apart one. Some people even called Caesar Augustus the son of God. Whoa, wrong label, amen? <laughs> so Caesar Augustus ruled over Rome for 45 years. You think U.S. presidents and politicians take a long time to cycle out. I got news for you. Caesar Augustus, 45 years from BC 27 to AD 14, this was the guy leading the largest empire in the world. Now, during his rule, he brought about Pax Romana. Some of you remember Pax Romana from your history classes. Most of you are like, "Eh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Pax Romana was Roman peace. And Caesar Augustus brought it about. In fact, during this time, he built a road system that connected Rome to the known world at that time or the known Western world at that time. So he created this huge roadway system that went all throughout the, uh, the empire. And it was that very road system, praise God, that Christianity used to spread the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. How cool is that, right? Caesar Augustus thought he was uh, pretty powerful. God used it for his own glory. Now, Octavian, or Augustus, he declared a decree, verse 1, from the Roman Senate that everyone needed to be counted for the purpose of army building and tax revenue. So everybody needed to be counted. Now, this this census, this took place in, in Caesar's calendar every 14 years. So he planned this thing out a long time before it happened. And I want you to keep that in your mind when you think about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. He delegated this out years before. Every 14 years, the census would happen. The census took place. And what is that word registration? Anyway, you see it in verse one and in verse two and in verse three, the word registration is all the people getting counted. Why would Caesar want to count his people? Well, for bigger armies and for more money. Can I get a money amen, right? Like that's ultimately what he wanted. Because when you count people, you can, you can get more people in your army. And when you count people, you can get more tax revenue coming in. So governments are always looking to tax their people for military and financial purposes. Some things never change. Some things never change. Rome taxed people at a percentage of about 25% of their income. So again, I don't know where you land in the tax bracket in this country. 25% is a pretty pretty big chunk. And governments have been taxing their people for ages. So if you are upset with taxation, get used to it. It's a historical reality. And all God's people said, oh, But the point is not to talk about taxation. The point is to talk about God. God's sovereignty and God's power. Octavian thought he was in control. He thought he was setting all of his systems up. He was going to tax everybody. He was going to get bigger armies and more tax revenue for Rome. He thought he was doing all the things and he thought he was pretty big stuff. All he was in God's idea was an errand boy for his purposes. All Octavian was doing was running an errand for God. And you see this over and over again. Caesar's pre-planned census 14 years earlier 
would lead to Joseph and Mary coming to Bethlehem just in time for her to give birth to Jesus and fulfill what the prophet Micah said centuries earlier. Have you ever read Micah 5 2? All right, listen to this. This was centuries before Jesus came. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago and the days of eternity. Caesar Augustus didn't notice Joseph and Mary. I mean, how could he? He doesn't know some couple from Palestine. But God knew Joseph and Mary. Amen? And God used this decree from this Caesar to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem at the exact right moment so that Jesus could be born in Bethlehem and all the prophecy would be fulfilled perfectly. Mind blown. Amen? Mind blown. Here's the practical reality of our lives. God rules over rulers. Amen? God rules over politics. He rules over the kingdoms of the earth. And every time you feel like Jesus is overlooked or, un- or unnoticed by those who govern you, I just want you to understand God is not so surprised. You see Republicans and Democrats wrestling for power. And you know what God does from heaven? He laughs. Because we get so worked up about our political system here. And I'm like, that's fine. If you're into politics, great. But here's the deal. God rules over our politicians. Amen? And God is accomplishing his purposes, whether you agree or not. God is accomplishing his purposes through all different kinds of leaders. And here's the power of God. Christian, lift your eyes up to heaven and chill out a little bit. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 16, 15. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Chill out. Trust God. Trust his gospel. His purposes cannot be thwarted according to Job 42.2. And no matter what God takes us through, God is always right on time. The next great revelation of God is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that, church? you believe that? Jesus is coming again? That's the next big thing on the calendar. And you can rest assured that it'll happen at the exact right time. Not a moment before, not a moment after, just like Jesus' first arrival on earth was right on time. The second one will follow suit and we can trust God. As Tom Roscoff, the venerable member of our church. Tom, you want to raise your hand right here? There's Tom in the back, okay. Tom is... Tom has said, and I'll get the quote partially right, but he says, God's ways are perfect. His timing is perfect. We can trust him. Amen? Now, that's something to take home because Caesar didn't notice Jesus. But you know who did notice Jesus? God did. Second second group that didn't notice Jesus, not only Caesar, but Bethlehem. The second group that, was, that didn't notice Jesus was Bethlehem. Jesus was unnoticed by Bethlehem, verses 4 through 6. Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
And while they were there, the time gave, came for her to give birth. So they went from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now it says in verse four, they went up from Galilee. And I just want to make a quick geographical statement here. You would say they're going south. How could they say going up? All right. First century Jews thought more elevation driven. Okay. Now for you and those of you who live in Iowa, all right, we, we struggle with elevation talk because it's so flat here. Okay. But here's the deal. If we say we're going down somewhere, we're like, I'm going south. I'm going down to Missouri, right? Or I'm going up to Minnesota, right? But a first century Jew wouldn't think that way. They would think elevation driven. I'm going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's up. That's, that's up in elevation. Um, Bethlehem was just seven miles southwest of Jerusalem. So it was, it was a climb to get there. And that's what they mean when they say they went up. Now they traveled to Bethlehem. From Nazareth, this would be a 90-mile long trip. Now, that is a very long trip for a teenage couple. Can I get a witness? That's a long trip. There's no cars. There's no transportation. There's no train. We're talking about animal transportation for 90 miles. How long is that? Well, in Iowa terms, if you're going west, it's from Des Moines to Atlantic. Okay, does that give you a sense? If you're going east... It's Des Moines to Williamsburg. If you're going south, it's Des Moines to Lamoni, right? Almost to the Missouri border. Amen? That's a long trip. That is a long trip on some sort of animal transportation. And they, they come to Bethlehem, this young couple, and Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Now, the reason it was named Bethlehem is because of a very successful agricultural area, house of bread. Really cool that the bread of life would be born in the house of bread. Amen? Isn't that cool? That's amazing. So people in Bethlehem, what did Joseph and Mary walk into? What kind of scene was it? Well, they'd be a lot of people traveling in caravans, lots of big groups coming into town. From all over the place, there would be different cultures coming in, a lot of different uh, backgrounds and people groups. So people would be talking and connecting and arguing. You could guess there'd be a lot of arguing going on and fighting, celebrating, eating, talking, and of course, complaining about politics in Rome. Amen? Amen. So here's what Chuck Colson, the great famous Christian from the 1970s said, he said, 2,000 years ago, Palestine was, as it is today, a land in turmoil. It's two and a half million inhabitants bitterly divided by religious, cultural, and language barriers. Tensions among them often erupted in bloody clashes. And Rome did little to discourage this volatile bitterness. So basically, everybody comes together. There's a whole bunch of clashing of cultures. There's busyness everywhere. And then here's Joseph and Mary. 16 and 14 years old, and it would be easy for them to just slip in unnoticed, even though she's nine months pregnant. That's an easily oversaw couple. Like, they're just overlooked. So, Jesus' birth, in a sense, because Bethlehem is so busy, Jesus' birth got lost in the, mis in the middle of the hustle and the bustle. Does that sound familiar at all? Does that sound like us? We're so busy going here and there and doing this and going to this party and this conversation and all this stuff is happening so fast that Jesus gets lost in your Christmas. Don't let Jesus get lost in your Christmas. 
in your celebration, slow down. Because God is always working in the small moments, in the slower moments. That's when Jesus shows up. Sometimes we like to think of Christmas as the big scene and the big thing and the big to do. But here's the reality of what scripture says. In the midst of that activity, Jesus is normally in the quiet moment. He's normally in the slow conversation. So just thinking about our culture, right? Just our pocket of Des Moines area here. In our pocket of culture, we have Christianity we have Buddhism, we have Hinduism, we have secularism, and we've got a lot of, it, of things in between in our neighborhoods. So some people are really excited for Christmas. Some people don't even know what Christmas is. And there's a lot of hustle and bustle going on. There's gatherings and parties and talking and catching up and eating food and, of course, complaining about politics. Amen? We haven't really changed that much, have we? But here's what I want you to think through in this point. Jesus is normally creating culture, changing people's lives in the small, behind-the-scenes moments, not the big ones. Yesterday, we got to give away five Thanksgiving meal giveaway gifts to people in our neighborhood. I, I am more convinced than I've ever been in my life that God works in those small moments a lot more than he works in the big church services, you know? I'm more convinced of it than ever. And just yesterday, Reuben and I made a call on a young lady that we gave a Thanksgiving basket to. We had cultivated a friendship with her during the Thanksgiving meal giveaway. We followed up. We gave her this basket, said, hey, you won this basket. And we had talked about her spiritual beliefs. We talked about her family. They've got a big family in a small space. They've got a big family in a three-bedroom apartment. And we gave her the basket, and she looked at us. She's like, no way, no way. Like, what do you mean, no way? Yes way, it's right here. You have it. She's like, I, no, no way. I never win stuff like this. I never get stuff like this. And I said, well, you just did. Praise the Lord, right? Praise God. And she got emotional about receiving that, and then she began to show off the, the thing to everybody around. Like, did you see this? I, once, I, I actually got something. I'm more convinced, right, than I've ever been in my life that Jesus Christ is at work in those moments. Amen? He's at work in those moments. So what do we have to do this Christmas? Slow down, ask God to help you recognize the moments that are smaller with people. Because those are the moments that count. And I've been, I've been praying this way to God these last two weeks, like, Lord, help me. I'm so busy. Help me slow down to know the right contacts, the right conversations to have, and may God bless us as a church to slow down. Amen? And recognize Jesus. Notice Jesus. Bethlehem, too busy to notice Jesus. May that not be our testimony. May this year we slow down to recognize the conversations that need to happen, and may we see Jesus at work in the hearts and lives of people. And may we join him in those conversations. But Jesus was unnoticed by Bethlehem. Lastly, Jesus was unnoticed by the inn and the innkeeper as well. <laughs> the last group that was unnoticed, didn't notice Jesus, was the inn. Now, verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, we're not told about the conversation that Joseph had with the innkeeper. 
but I'm sure it was spirited. Amen? And passionate, I'm sure. Okay, imagine your wife's water breaking and you're arguing with the desk clerk at Holiday Inn. Does <laughs> that so give you a sense of it? It'd be an intense conversation. I would say to the clerk, look, my life is on the line. If this woman does not get a room, like now, like right now. So that gives you a sense of the intensity of the moment. And let's talk about the inn just for a little bit. Some of you are thinking about a Ramada. <laughs> Some of you are thinking about a Holiday Inn. Maybe Holiday Inn Express. Some of you have pulled down, you're like, well, it's not fancy like that. But some of you are still thinking about some of those dumpy motels on Southeast 14th. <laughs> you know, don't think of that. This, this is not in any way a modern Western hotel. And this is not in any way even a dumpy, like, Western motel. This is none of those things. An inn was historically called a caravancia. Okay, a caravancia is a place where caravans of travelers would stop. An inn was a rudimentary location, uh, barely any walls. It's a location for groups and people to stay, kind of like a perimeter. So if you think about a circle, like it was kind of like this perimeter of like really rudimentary lodging. And in the middle was like some sort of like little courtyard where all the animals and all the dust and all the, the poo and all that stuff would go, like right in the middle there. And they would drink. The animals would drink there. That's really what we're thinking. So if you're westernizing this picture, think more of like a KOA, all right? Or an RV campground. You guys all with me now? I, I saw, okay, yep, I'm seeing lots of heads. Like once the RV campground, you're like, hey, that's, yes, yes, I'm with you, right? That is what we're talking about. Like more of a, like a rudimentary circle with a courtyard in the middle. And here's the thing. Joseph and Mary were most likely in the center of one of these courtyards because they couldn't get even the rudimentary room on the exterior. They had to come into the interior where all of the food were and the livestock and they delivered baby Jesus amongst the animals. Getting a picture? Crazy. The Son of God came to the earth in the most humble way imaginable. You got a hospital. Jesus got nothing like that. Okay, now, Jesus was laid in a manger. Can we talk about the manger really quick? Jesus is laid in a manger. Now, in your mind, you have a little crib. No crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head. His sweet head. That's what Jesus has, right? You're thinking of your nativity at home. You're thinking of a wooden crib. I just want to blow your mind. It was not probably a wooden crib. It was not probably your nativity at home, as cute as that is. Mangers were limestone in that day. Three feet tall, five feet wide. You don't believe me? I got a picture. This is not original Probably not Jesus's, but this is a Middle Eastern Bethlehem-like manger. You can see this limestone is tall, three feet tall, five feet wide. And this thing is hard and it is very, very uh, driven towards the outdoors, right? 
So if you can picture Jesus being laid down in this, this is probably the mental picture that's probably a little bit more accurate to the scriptures. So if that, if that changes your thinking a little bit, it, either way, it's nasty, right? It is dirty. It is very open amongst the stars. And this would be the sign that the angels would point the shepherds to. This will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This is what we're talking about here. And I just want you to see this is what humility looks like. This is what our Jesus looks like. He didn't come in a king's palace. He didn't come trying to win the American dream or live the American dream. Jesus came in abject humility. And I want you to think about Joseph and Mary's humility. How humble are these young people? Out in the middle of this courtyard and the sky above them and Jesus, the Son of God, salvation in flesh right in front of them, the most precious gift ever given to humanity right in front of them. And if I could just say something about wrapping presents, you know, we like really good wrapping. I've historically been a bad rapper, okay? Danielle has helped me over the years. I feel like I'm adequate at this point. But wrapping's a big deal. You want to get the folds right. You want to get the packet. You, you want your wrapping to be really attractive so that your kids or whoever you're giving to is like, yeah, this is awesome. It's going to be great. It could be a terrible present, but if it's wrapped well, people are like, yes, awesome. Good job wrapping because you put effort towards it. I want you to think about the gospel and I want you to think about how unconcerned about wrapping God is. God doesn't care about the wrapping. He cares about the gift. Because Jesus comes in the most humble wrapping ever. Swaddling clothes in a manger, yet he's the greatest gift. Amen? He's the greatest gift we could ever know. And I just want you to think through that. Um, guys, that is not an excuse to have bad wrapping for your Christmas. Do a good job. But think about the gospel. How much... God uses humble circumstances in our lives to save us and transform us and lead us to Jesus and salvation. When God does big things, he normally starts very small, amen? When he does awesome big things, it normally starts with small circumstances, small people, and small settings. So don't ever despise small things. Don't despise small gatherings in Christmas time. Don't despise small relationships. Don't worry about your status. Love Jesus. He'll take care of it. Okay? So the inn didn't have room for Jesus. And what an illustration of our hearts today. So many don't have room for Jesus. Too busy. Too proud. Too arrogant. Too preoccupied with other things. And yet the gospel is a call to make room in your heart for Jesus. To notice Jesus Christ. So, as we go, Caesar didn't notice Jesus. Bethlehem didn't notice Jesus. And the inn didn't notice Jesus. But you know who did notice Jesus? Mary. Joseph. Simeon. Anna. Some shepherds. Some wise men. And hopefully you and me. Amen? You know why Jesus saved you? You know why he noticed you? Not because you're so sweet and you're so rich and you're so smart and you're so gifted. 
You know why he saves us? Because he's so gracious and compassionate to save us. And he often picks the most overlooked and unnoticed people to do the greatest things for him, a.k.a. Gideon in the Old Testament, a.k.a. Mary and Joseph in the New Testament, a.k.a. Paul the Apostle, and a.k.a. you and me, right? So this Christmas, may you notice Jesus. I guess that's a question I have for you. Do you notice him? Do you notice him? He certainly notices you. I can tell you that right now because he said, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And if you're here and you don't know Christ yet, I'm telling you, Jesus notices you right now. He wants to save you right now. He wants to save you this morning. 1 Corinthians 6 says, when is the time of salvation? Behold, now is the time. Now is the appropriate day to be saved. So if you're here and you're lost and you don't know Christ, don't walk another day on this earth without knowing Jesus. Amen? Personally, in here. And if you do know Jesus, I want to encourage you. He notices you right now. He notices you. He knows what's going on in your life. Do you remember when Jesus went and noticed Peter after Peter had blown it, denied him three times? I'm going back fishing. All the other guys are like, yeah, we'll go fishing with you. And do you remember who came to the beach and made him breakfast? That's Jesus. To save him? No, no, they were saved. To build him up, to pour into them. He noticed them, came to them, poured into them. And if I, I just want to tell you this morning, if you're a Christian, Christmas is for you. Jesus sees you. He notices you. And he's here to build you up. What does it look like? I don't know. That's an application for you to figure out. But ultimately, Jesus notices people. Above the politics and the busyness and the comfort and the crazy activity of our day, Christmas is all about being good news for the unnoticed. May God bless you and me as we respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for the power of the gospel, Lord. You know me. I'm so weak. I'm so insufficient. Lord, you know us. Sometimes we feel unnoticed. We feel overlooked. And yet we see our Jesus and he was unnoticed. And Lord, the world will never be ready to make Christianity popular. The world will not accept Christianity as the, the way, the truth, the life. It'll always be a suffering movement. But Lord, what a sweet thing to be noticed by you. What a beautiful thing to be saved by Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for those, anybody in this room that's not born again, or that they would be saved even this morning, that they would confess their sins, and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that every Christian would feel, Lord, your attention this morning, that you love them, Jesus, and that you're ready to make this Christmas a very special one for your glory. So Lord, as you notice us, may we in turn notice you. Give us grace to respond in Jesus' name.